Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 403 of the Crate and Crowbar. It is the 16th of August, 2022, which is a kind of satisfying series of numbers. My name is Chris Thurston, and joining me tonight is Marsh Davis. Hello. Hello, my my quivering friend. (laughs) (laughs) A little little, little vibrato in the voice there. I enjoyed that. Thank you. Oh, I'm sort of easing into this. It's very warm this evening. I know it's not going to be news for anyone listening to this in the United Kingdom, but it's muggy. It's very, very muggy. I'm feeling it. I don't know about you. You're obviously it's not fine in the here. Kingdom. Oh, good. Aircon, you know. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Hmm. I think I, it doesn't help that I'm sitting on top of a PC that just loves to be a little radiator. So there's there's an element of that. I'm not sitting on top of it. I did. I do realize that's pretty much exactly what I just said. Um, <laughs> but I lied. Good. I'm glad we got that out of the way. Um, what we're we going to talk about, Marsh? We're going to talk about some games that we've been playing, and then we might resurrect some questions for a little mm. bit. Uh, and that's principally because uh, we had a look at the news, and as often happened recently, went oh, and that was that. So, <laughs> would you like to kick us off by telling me, and indeed everyone else, what you've been playing? I can do, Chris. I've been playing a couple of games, but I've been playing Last Call BBS, which was previously Mm. discussed on the podcast as the swan song from Zachtronics, the very final game of that studio, but possibly not the people who made it. Um, It it is, in fact, a number of different games, all packaged together as though they were like this pirated games of yesteryear for like a a fictional computing device. I think it's called Mm. something like... A Z5 Power Lance or something like that. This <laughs> is a very good name. Uh, anyway, so you start the game and it sort of boots up this console and then you can dial into this BBS service uh, and you download the games. And as you play these little kind of just desktop games, basically you get little snippets of info about the games and the fictional scene from which they emerged. Uh, and these appear in like the guise of... Uh, of personal messages from I, I think the guy who lent you the console I can't quite remember but um, which is like an, a nice enough framing device um, yeah does it go anywhere not so far <laughs> uh, <laughs> does it speak to me personally no no not at all um, I think um, I think someone like Alex you know who, who's always like fiddling he's always with playing his with little his mister. mister yeah <laughs> yeah we yeah, got there. we got him. We both got him. <laughs> we both uh, <laughs> we both yanked on the mister at the same time from indeed. different directions. I think uh, he would probably find more to identify with. Mm. Or I think, you know, maybe if you're like into the import game scene at a certain time, right. this would maybe have more resonance to you, but that's that's not me. I don't hate it in any way, but it just like hasn't hasn't gripped me in the way that Alex likes to grip his, his mister so vigorously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Do you think that's an age thing? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, his desperation to kind of breathe life into his mister. You mean? Of course not. What I mean is that. Do you think a certain affection for the kind for for this sort of thing is is generational anyway? Because I don't think it is. I think it's more about which parts of the hobby you invest in. Mostly, I, I did want to make the wanking joke. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't think it is. I mean, I was, I was, I was a. Um, sadly uh, increasingly uh sadly uh of the right age to be interested in this kind of stuff but i just i never was i don't i just don't like putting in the effort basically mm. is the answer um which also leads me into uh the second point which is that admittedly i'm not much of a hardcore zactronics devotee either because they they all require a lot of effort um he's the, the kind of the the gang, the Zachtronics gang, are well known for uh, their puzzle games, although they've branched out into other other genres. But they, they kind of specialise in a particular sort of scale of puzzle design. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'm really into puzzle games generally, but like just there's something about the kind of Zachtronics uh, games where you're essentially building self uh, automatons you know these machines essentially which uh, you clock you know clip together to to get a particular outcome and like you need to dig down through like layers and layers of nested consequences i just i just sort of tap out whereas it's it's weird because i, I 
I will happily spend the exact same amount of time just staring inertly at a block puzzle I cannot solve. <laughs> so I don't, I don't really know what the difference is, why I enjoy one form over the other, but there it is. Um, is, it, is it maybe about the kind of the analog nature of the solutions in a lot of Psychonics games? Like you can be, you can just be simply correct about the solution to a block puzzle, for example. I always found that with Zetronics, it was that the skill ceiling was so high that I found it daunting, right? Yeah, I suppose it is. It is about the the kind of the, the maximization of your level of success, which after a certain point, I just don't care about. Yeah. I like it to be digital, I suppose. Success, ding, or, you know, failure, mm. but like kind of success of one of a million gradients. Uh, it's just a little too difficult for me to perceive the victory in that <laughs> especially as i will <laughs> never get the higher grades of those levels of success um i suppose is the answer mm. i suppose that's, that's kind of not to spin off from well, actually, i would like to hear, hear about what this game is particularly but that's kind of helped me articulate something because i really really admire all of the electronics games but i always feel like i'm not uh, i certainly don't necessarily like uh attach to them in the way that as you say a lot of our our friends do like obviously you mentioned alex's uh, desperate attachment to his mister but it's also worth pointing out that tom francis for example is somebody who i think loves to optimize the system and, and finds a lot of benefit out of the zactronics mode i think for me that feels like work where puzzles generally are some fun combination of teasing out your brain, you know, teasing, you know, prompting kind of problem solving or prompting interesting thoughts and tidying, right? You kind of, <laughs> you sort of, you solve, you organize, you put away, you shuffle the pieces into place, you get the, create the correct pattern and the puzzle is done, right? Whether that's a bo- like a soccer bond game or a, or, or a Tetris or a crossword, right? Like there are all sorts of variants of the same thing. Mm. And I really admire the sort of, the way that Zachronics have traditionally created these kind of sandboxes for intellectual investment in an abstract invented problem. That seems like an amazing use of games as a medium. I admire it a lot. Um, but it is also a continual reminder of how smart I'm not, which <laughs> other games yes. are better at tricking me into feeling good about than well, I mean, Zachronics games traditionally are. I have a sort of a wanky thesis that I know I've said on the podcast before, which Please. is that puzzles are problems that want you to solve them. Um, and, mm. and and so mm. when you play a puzzle game, which is like a soccer bond, it's not designed really to confound you. It's designed to lead you to uh, a, a realization and a, a growth. Um, whereas I feel like Zachtronics games present you with something and you just go, well, that's going to be hard for you, isn't it? <laughs> and you're like, yes, <laughs> yes, that does that does seem egregiously difficult. <laughs> um, and I don't feel after a certain point that they're really they're really that interested in 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 your success. Uh, unlike maybe a, a Alan Hazelden game. Mm. I do think though that there's like it. You know, I think you and I basically of a personality type where we find that not necessarily hostile, but a little bit like well. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of, there's something confrontational about it, I suppose. Whereas like, I'm aware that there's a large audience of people for whom that's really, really inviting. Like I think about this mm. a lot, like creating like over the years that I was working on hack mode and we create really, really obtuse puzzles for the community to solve. And, you know, obviously there were moments where people would get frustrated or kind of stuck or the whole community would get stuck on something for a while. But there was also a real deep, passionate interest in cracking that problem open one way or another. And so I think that the, the sort of the dynamics, I actually agree, I think it's a, it's a very nice way of putting it, that a puzzle wants you to solve it. But it can also, it can also support you by denying you that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It can also support mm. you by um, pushing that satisfaction of finishing the puzzle uh, further and further away or by adding complexity to it or by really leading you to astray. And I think there's a really interesting balance to be found where what is what is difficult enough to count versus you're just being a dick, which is <laughs> yeah. um, certainly, well, what I will say, 
has never really occurred to me as an issue with electronics games because of the more analog kind of sandboxy kind of problem space, right? You don't yeah. necessarily have that thing of like, oh, now you're just being an asshole, right? Which yeah. you do get with more constructed feeling puzzles, crosswords, and so on, where it's like, oh, come on. You know what I mean? That feeling. Yeah. And so I can also understand that side of it as well, that like, for me, that mountain of sort of analog problem solving feels like work, but I can understand why other people it feels like traction, right? There's right. no staring There's- at the screen. The, the sandbox element also encourages a certain amount of play, uh, mm-hmm. whereas uh, incredibly difficult digital solutions do not um, right. to the same degree, I think. Um, so that there is, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not criticizing the, the style of design. I think there's absolutely a place for it and people really enjoy it. It just personally doesn't gratify me in the exact same way that other puzzle games do. But there, there are actual um, other kinds of puzzle games in this compilation hmm. um so i yeah there, there, there are definitely the sorts of big machine building games here too i think two or three of them which um i didn't expect to immediately adore and don't <laughs> um <laughs> one of which is just completely unfathomable to me like intentionally it's at ui and purpose is opaque um and Knowing what kind of game it probably turned out to be, I have to say I haven't really persisted in trying to discover what that is. Um, but there are a bunch of other games here of different kinds that I do quite like. There's two kinds of solitaire. Hell yeah. You know, I know, wild stuff. <laughs> one of them which is just regular solitaire and one of which is a bit more like free cell mm. where you, you can move, you can only move like a card from one stack to another if you can place it on a card of the same kind and the idea is to eventually have the deck divided up into stacks of four identical cards and you also have a certain number of free cells in which you can stack cards for free Um, and the harder game you choose the fewer of those free cells you have it is okay um (laughs) but the game i like most is um it's called dungeons and diagrams and it's it's sort of like somewhere between Minesweeper and Sudoku. Um, you have a grid, and at the side of the grid are numbers, which tell you how many wall tiles can be placed in a given row. And the aim is to draw a dungeon layout, obeying those numbers and various other rules, like all the negative space of the dungeon must connect. Um, there are monsters, which are like marked on the grid from the get-go. And monsters always set in dead ends, and dead ends always contain monsters. Um, and there's some other rules for like the you know space you need to put around chests and the size of corridors in general, um, and all of those constraints mean that there is a, a fun logic puzzle there. Um, but it sort of it's it feels it's very small. It's 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 a very little game. It doesn't really expand beyond those rules at all. It doesn't add new rules as it goes along or subverts it, which would be my expectation of like a puzzle game being released today. But I, this is sort of like a parody of the kind and scale of desktop games you got in the in the nineties, right. and it is uh, it sort of just sets its ambitions there and and stops, um, <laughs> which is fine. Um, but um, yeah, I also found it slightly unsatisfactory after a period of time. Um, and also, I'm like. Initially, I was 100% sure that some of the puzzles have multiple solutions, um, but only one of those solutions is acknowledged as the right answer in the game. But then as time has gone on, my level of certainty in myself (laughs) has plummeted. (laughs) Um, And unfortunately, I can't remember which levels I thought did that, so I can't go back and check. But um, maybe that's the case. Um, I don't know. There's also a puzzle bobble sort of game, which I don't don't particularly care for. But I don't know. Overall, I... It feels a bit like Zachtronics were obliged to make one last game under a contract <laughs> and right. they, they sort of pulled out a bunch of ideas they'd half made and polished them up to a minimum, created a sort of narrative framing device to make it feel more cohesive and just put it out there, which I, if, if that is the circumstances of the game, I do not begrudge at all. I think it's sort of like, to use one of Graham Smith's banned words, a smorgasbord approach is, <laughs> is pretty cool. Um, little taste of a bunch of different quite games, but I have to say it didn't quite satisfy me. Though I think if if I was super into the big meaty mechanical games, then I would have got tons more out of it. Right. 
Is the, just so that I can picture it rightly, so it's printed as a collection, is the accessing of individual games part of the puzzle? Or is it like they're discrete, they're just games? They're just games. You dial up um, using a a fake dial-up interface and then you download the games uh, very, very slowly. Obviously, the (laughs) games are already downloaded. Um, So after the first time that happened, I was like, okay, yeah. I, I get it. We can skip. <laughs> we can skip this diegetic uh, faff, um, but it doesn't skip it. You just have to download the games. <laughs> uh, there are eight in total. Right. I don't think there are any hidden games. Well, the thing is, I haven't. Pl- the thing is, it, it requires you to play the games to unlock more um, commentary about the the games and the scene. If there, if it does go full frog fractions at a point later on, I'm not going to know because I'm just not going to play some of those games, which I don't particularly like. Right. Um, so yeah, there is there is a potential that it is absolutely mind blowing. <laughs> I just never discover that. <laughs> just don't open the door. Indeed. Yeah. What have you been playing, Chris? Well, I, I would like to talk about uh, Cult of the Lamb, which I have been <sighs> which I have been playing this week. I've been playing it on the Switch, and it seems a great game for that. But um, I appreciate it's out on PC and most platforms as well. Now, I want to caveat this by saying um, I have. I've hit a, oh, I wasn't sure when exactly to kind of say this in the course of um, talking about the game, but today I hit a complete showstopper pro- progress stopping bug in the game, which oh. means that I am now in a position where I need to either wait for a patch or start again. And when oh, I talk shit. about the kind of game that this is, um, you'll see why that's quite uh, disheartening. And so I think I'm glad that I said that up front, partly because I, I think people should be aware this game's just come out uh, as of last week and sort of buzz around it. It's um, it's by Massive Monster, who I believe are an Australian developer, um, published by Devolver. And obviously I'll talk about what it is, but I, I do think um, it, it, it's presented in an incredibly polished way, but it does have obviously the odd rough edge. In my case, uh, well, I'll, I'll talk about the point that I got to, but... Um, it's been a bit of a real shame because like, I like it enough that I might simply restart and hope I don't hit the same bug again. But having looked it up, I've seen that there are actually a number of um, effectively issues with its like events. Sounds like issues with its event scripting, particularly around things like tutorials, locking you in particular parts hmm. of the game. Uh, and with no reconcilable solution from within the game itself. So put that as a caveat in front of this, that it probably needs a bit of a pass to catch stuff like this. I'm not super heartbroken. I think it's um, I think it's a great game, and I think, um, you know, uh, it's going to be very worthwhile. But there you go. That's the warning. And it also means that I, I had really hoped to get to a certain point before talking about it on the podcast today, um, which I cannot get to for reasons so um Mm. we'll talk about it so um as i as i crack into this i'm going to quite literally uh now just open uh a tin g and t because apparently that's what i'm going to be uh how i'm going to explain this so forgive me this noise gratifying i thought (laughs) let's talk about cult of the lamb so cult of the lamb is a i would describe it I know it can be a bit lazy to describe games as, as a combination of other games, but I think the elements in play here are pretty clear. It's a roguelike with elements of, I would say, both Binding of Isaac and um, uh, Hades, um, with also with elements of um, choice and kind of branching pathways, familiar from lots of games, uh, FTL, Inscription, Slay the Spire, etc., um, it is also kind of like a Stardew Valley or an Animal Crossing game about building up a base, uh, in this case, building up a cult. Um, it stars, so it's called Cult of the Lamb, and it stars a, um, it's set in a sort of dark fantasy, sort of, you know, uh, slightly kind of Lovecraftian or kind of cosmic horror fantasy world populated by happy, smiling, little, slightly grotesque animal people who I would describe as sort of existing on the spectrum between Animal Crossing be the most on, uh, the most obvious comparison, but the way they move and their big eyes and big heads and the constant smiling and bobbing around makes them feel more like Peppa Pig characters to me. <laughs> um, imagine, if you will, a dark Peppa Pig. Um, and um, uh, at the beginning of the game, 
You are a lamb. Obviously, all the different people are different animals, basically different little anthropomorphic animals. You are a little lamb. And the first thing you do is waddle yourself over for sacrifice. It turns out there's a, there are four kind of malign old gods in the world or these bishops. And um, they are in the business of killing all of the lambs because a lamb is prophesied to free the fifth god. And you are, this is opening sequence stuff. So it's obviously not a spoiler. You are executed, sacrificed, go down into the underworld and meet this fifth god who then sends you back as their, sticks a crown on your head and sends you back as their kind of emissary and tasks you with starting a pretty grim cult in their name. Uh, and from there, kind of heading off to assassinate these four other kind of demigods uh, and, and free free this trapped kind of basically trapped sort of uh lovecraftian cat monster that's trapped beneath mm. the world um and in the course of doing this so the 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 kind of the runs themselves are basically dungeon runs through the domains of these varying different gods um it is i've been playing on switch obviously so i've got an analog stick but it's um it's um, it's not grid based. It's like a kind of free roaming isometric sort of action hack and slash dungeon crawler um, with uh, with a heavy melee focus, which is sort of to me what separates it from Binding of Isaac, which is a game that would otherwise be a lot like um, and makes it more feel more like Hades in some ways. Basically, you have a, a fast dodge roll and you have a um, like a melee strike and some combos with that, and then uh, a bit later you get like a magical ranged attack. Um, and it really is kind of that simple. It's kind of room-based. So you're kind of proceeding from room to room. Each room will have its own kind of encounter or set of creatures in it um, through a kind of a given dungeon. And a run will normally be like four dungeons and a boss fight. You do three boss fights and you unlock the big beat the god boss fight for a given area. And that's actually where I got when I got permanently blocked. Um, now, between runs... So in the course of these runs, you're gathering loads of resources, you're killing monsters. Uh, you're also gathering followers who are these little animal people who will be like either trapped or you can actually recruit certain enemy characters and they'll be kind of trapped and shivering and quivering. And And I, one thing I should say, I probably should have said already, the game is absolutely fucking gorgeous. It is an extraordinary looking sort of game. It's a combination of sort of isometric, sort of semi-3D environments and really expressive cartoon art which I think in this context is it's not quite like cuphead levels of like, holy shit, look at the investment in this cartoon art, but it's also not miles off. And for, as I'll get into again with that many, this many generative elements and dynamic elements, that's really impressive. Like you think about something like cuphead as being like a kind of bit of a pinnacle of what, how you can push 2d art and animation in a game, but it's also very crafted, right? Like every scene is very carefully concepted and conceived. This is doing a huge amount with random elements, like so much so that you can kind of, you know, pick loads of different variations for all the different characters you meet. You can swap things in and out. A ton is done with sort of what is clearly like eyes and eyes and mouth overlays on varying different animal models, but it's really effective. And there are so many just tons of great animations and the environments are really beautiful as well. And it really doesn't look like anything else I could name because it is so cute with his, ha- his little smile, everyone's smiling all the time and everyone's really happy and, and everyone's idle animation is this side-to-side bobbing head that I can't really talk about without doing. I don't know if that's coming across in the thing. <laughs> and, and you're just sort of like hovering and bouncing and, and chatting away to each other. And then, but it's actual like simulation of forming a cult is one of the most like amoral sets of things. <laughs> <laughs> like it really like honestly like if you were you know if you if you were if you were coming into this thing he's like well maybe maybe i can make the nice happy animal cult and do it nope nope <laughs> you can't it's horrendous like you're explicitly brainwashing these animals and making them work for you um and so you, so a big part of the game is is building up this because you go this big open kind of like you know you know weedy field when you start the game and you build initially like a little shrine a place to cook food um, eventually you'll build like a, uh, like a, a temple where you can give sermons and things like that. And you gain all of these cultists and they all have their own internalized needs and desires and things and behaviors. And you assign them to jobs. It's actually quite a, a full fledged management game as well as the dungeon crawler. Huh. Uh, it really is. And, and like, and what that comes with is, is like a ton of busy work. Um, because you know, you have to, 
Um, you have to feed them, which means you're gathering food either by gathering them in your base or having people assigned to it from farming or uh, in the course of your dungeon runs, which you then have to create into meals. And you can then, as I say, farm, de-watering those plants. You can, you know, fertilize the plants. Um, and so there are tons of different resources. There's tons of different progression trees. Um, you'll buy assigned cultists to worship at your shrine, which gains this kind of devotion resource. But that is distinct from each cultist's individual feeling about you, which is also a bar, or um, the progress, your progress in acting these kind of edicts across the cult as, as a whole. Um, your own personal progress, which is what makes the dungeon runs easier. And so the game um, for its um, for its really kind of cute presentation is probably one of the broadest progression-based roguelikes I've ever played, right? Like if you think about the legacy, you know, bleh, I've done it now, the game, legacy of games like Rogue Legacy, right? <laughs> like where it's like, you know, that sort of the, the thread beginning to build as roguelikes became more and more central to, you know, games basically where as we built much more firmly towards these games being effectively progression games right like they're fundamentally about progressing a tech tree or several tech trees to make your runs easier and about the tension between the difficulty of your run and how much progress it buys you towards making the runs easier right and that that was no that wasn't that's not you know i mean i appreciate that's where things like the road light come from but um you know these games are now all over the place hades is one of these uh dead cells is one of these and this is because this bolts on such a, like, a, you know, I think it's Animal Crossing, dark Animal Crossing in tone, but more like something like Stardew Valley or a farming game in terms of how much busy work there is. Um, hmm. You're always doing stuff. So it uses that, the kind of the broad, the breadth of progression paths offered by a, a building game or a management game, and then funnels that into these quite tight and relatively feature light dungeon runs. Um, and where I have any criticism about the game initially, it is that those things seem slightly differently weighted in terms of balance. I I think it is a shallower dungeon crawler action game than Hades is, for example. Right. Whereas it is a fairly robust um, uh, to-do list building game, right? Mm. Where you're, you know, and so what I would say is, I think primarily, like, if what you are looking for is an action game i don't think this is actually the right choice in some ways but if you if you really enjoy building games and are willing to kind of branch out into this action direction and are curious about the tone i think it's great right it's like Mm. but but i think if you were an action player and didn't enjoy building you it would be a major blocker to you really enjoying this game so there's a sort of uh a balance to be to be struck there it's really rich though there's tons of stuff in it and tons of really fun little moments so you know like there's a there's a there's a funny thing with like the kind of the grim nature of your domination over these people even though you're just a happy little lamb <laughs> is is one part of its tension right you're like this kind of like you really are a fairly malign figure to your own cult but also your little monster your little happy animal friends you know, they, they, they're so expressive and they'll get a bit sick and they'll get a bit poorly. And a lot of the time they'll just scurry off to the corner of the map and do a big shit. (laughs) And once they've done this, you've got to go and clean up their shit or else they'll get sick. And so there's a sort of Tamagotchi level of like, you know, this is weird. Um, There's like a counterpoint of like, you know, someone telling you like, yes, I am devoted to you in all ways. Also, I've done a fucking huge dump. Please go find it. Um, and which is very, very funny to me. Uh, it, it works. Um, but also then you can get that, that poop is your fertilizer. But also oh, see. you can also cook the poop and make them eat it. It's uh, okay. and, and occasionally What's the effect of that? Uh, it makes them ill. Oh, um, right. You don't they want to do this. Um, but like but right before it got broken for me, a cultist came up to me and went, because they'll they'll follow you and they'll bounce up and down going like hey 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 and um and you talk, you talk to them and it's like uh, obviously everyone's randomly named but it was like I think Fimril is a bit up himself and I'd like to play a practical joke on him will you feed him some shit for me and um and your choices are lose a bunch of faith or yes <laughs> oh my god yes. and so then like I found myself waiting for three different villages to do a shit so I had enough shit for the 
the shit pie I was going to make someone. It really is. It's like, it's not that purient most of the time, but that sort of contrasted with the kind of worshipful language and the cosmic horror thing and the daft cartoon animals really does make it quite <laughs> unique. Like it really isn't like much else in that way. Um, but there are elements of like, sort of like grim management to it. Like you can pass these edicts, which are kind of either or like, for example, you can, uh, you have rituals, which you have to desecrate the bones of your enemies in order to fuel. But a ritual could be, we all dance around the big bonfire and everyone feels better. It could also be, we all fast for three days, uh, which can save on food things, or it could be, we'll have a feast, which makes me feel better. And a lot of these are kind of binary. And, um, and one of the choices you make quite early or can make quite early is do your cultists esteem sacrifice or do they believe that glory awaits them or, or pleasure awaits them in the afterlife, which feels like a fairly fundamental cult tenet given that, you know, you're building mm. a death cult basically. And if you choose afterlife, then cultists feel less bad about other cultists dying because they can die. Um, if you choose pro sacrifice, then if you do choose to sacrifice your cultists, which you can, you get tons more out of it. And I went for that. And now I used to find yourself eyeing all these little animal people saying like, who has in, enough of a balance of negative traits that I am just going to sacrifice them. And, <laughs> and these moments are really sold, right? Like it's not just you press a button and the cultist vanishes and you get some points. All of your little happy smiling animals wander into the temple and they all put on hooded robes. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> and the one who's chosen to be sacrificed then you pick who's being sacrificed and so the one who's being sacrificed lowers the hood again and wanders in the mad middle still happy and bouncing around and then they they die pretty gruesomely um in a fairly cosmic way which i won't spoil but like there is oh, it is it is really <laughs> odd it's a very very odd game but i am really kind of enjoying it so far and i think because partly because it's got the the building element does give it that kind of like i'm just going to tinker with this and also lots of the decorations you can do you can customize your little build and things like that um i haven't had the sort of like it has in terms of the runs themselves um you can kind of grab, gather tarot cards which um add modifiers to your abilities all this will be very familiar to people who are familiar with these kinds of games it's very similar to Hades, I guess, or Binding Isaac in that, um, you know, I had a very successful run where at the start of the game, I randomly got a, a dagger that can poison people. So every time I hit them, I have a chance to poison them. And I managed to find cards that meant that I definitely poisoned people whenever I hit them, which stacked with the previous thing. Like if you played these games, you know what this arc is, right? Like the run gains a character based on what you do. The amount of things you upgrade, add different things to the world. You will get attached to certain loadouts and try and seek them out. And at other times you'll kind of discover the potential in things yeah um it's not the you know um it is not the best of these games in that in pure combat but it's also not bad and i think um um it's pretty simple and accessible and like i say it looks great also the sound design is great the music is great it has a really the voices of the characters and not what you expect it's kind of hard to describe there's a slightly sort of like there's a deliberate discordance between how kind of ominous everything sounds and how cute everything is, but it's a game kind of, it's a very aesthetically, it's a very finely managed set of discordant elements, right? This sort of like, cause when occasionally you'll go back to the, the underworld dimension where your master resides. And when you zoom in close enough, the, the individual 2d characters have a kind of like paper, like quality to them. It's not obvious, but almost like, um, almost like animation cells or something like that. There's a kind of like, there's a, there's a, there's a degree of that. And so I'm sort of, um, yeah, quite kind of taken with, with it. I think it's a very coherent little achievement, despite it's kind of the fact that a lot of its elements, you can see where they've been derived from. I think the kind of the bringing together of it's really successful. Um, yeah. Sounds great. I mean, I mean, I'm really um, into the, the particular blend uh, that it's going for because i find like i mean i'm i like building games up to a certain point and then i feel yeah. sort of like slightly itchy like i want to be distracted and i i like action roguelikes up to a certain point and then i feel like the the feedback loop is just a little sort of um too tight and ouroboros you know i want to i want to, i want my kind of success <laughs> in combat to, to feed into some other thing that is also going to kind of grow and so like the the fact that these two things that i like you know, 60% mm. combined may make something which is 
uh, much more than the sum of its parts for me. Or I yeah. may hate it. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Who knows? But um, um, I, yeah, I, think... I was really excited to play this. I, I'm, I'm slightly glad I held off now, actually, because uh, I'd rather play it when the, the, you know, the bugs are ironed so, out. So, I mean, I would, I would recommend you could play it now. Like, it's, I, I also, can I just say I love the phrase, a tight Ouroboros? Like, <laughs> Ouroboros, like the notion of like, oh, that snake's too hungry. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> he's catching up with his own neck. Because they're all neck, aren't they, snakes? In a way. Um, um, uh, what the fuck was I talking about? Um, I don't know. I don't think we're going to get a deeper observation than that. No. On this um, podcast. Um, so, yeah, but like, there's always kind of like, yeah, so I'm really enjoying it aesthetically. So the issue I've hit is... I think the the issues I've heard of is one where it doesn't acknowledge that certain bosses have died, but doesn't let you retry them. So it's that kind of thing. Um, the other is the one I've hit is when it is teaching you how to do your kind of base camp building stuff. If you try and run in the through the big doorway that takes you to the dungeons, like a little fog gate appears and stops you. Basically, very basic mm. thing just means you're not allowed to do this until you've kind of you know done the step by step stuff that we have you know we're telling you to do for the tutorial purposes. Um, it turns out there's a bug which I have hit where sometimes if you have any objectives in your base, like your a villager's asked you to do something or something like that, then um, then it can trigger that gate without actually it needing to. So I'm uh. stuck in a position now where a villager wants me to do, a, well, to finish a quest, I need to do a ritual. But to do a ritual, I need bones, which you get from desecrating the bones of the enemies you kill. And I can't fight any enemies because it's not letting me through the fog gate. And initially I thought it was just a mistake. It's got like a day night cycle and stuff as well. Cause of course it does. And so I um, was like, um, you know, but actually as it turns out, nope, uh, it's just a showstopper bug. So I'll see what I, how I feel about like starting again. Part of me sort of tempted. Cause like, I'm probably like three or four hours in, hmm. which feels like a big investment, but it's right like, on the cusp, isn't it? <laughs> it's on the cusp where like, I could probably pass this off as, time to finesse what i'd previously done and that i understand the game better than i did when i start i could lay out my base slightly differently or something you know what i mean something yeah. like that um and i could probably but so so i mean it's it's something that i i, I am not as someone who can bounce quite quickly off a game nowadays i'm not immediately like going well that's that's a wrap on cut of the lamb for me on the basis of seeing such a kind of thing a uh, big issue but i also at the same time would not blame people for waiting until maybe it's had at least one patch but it's only been out less than a week I'm, i suspect there'll be like a, a patch fairly soon that is this you know the kind of save rescuing thing i would hope but we'll see hmm. yes it's very good very good i'm excited to play it and you play you're playing on your switch did you say i am yeah Mm, interesting i recently dug out my switch from a from the back of a box so i felt really guilty um when I, as i blew all the like the inch of dust off it so maybe i'll um maybe i'll shell out yeah i'm, I'm finding some slowdown issues on switch um uh-huh. i don't know if that's my switch or switch generally but it feels like a pad game to me one way or another mm. whether you're playing it on pc or not just because of the kind of analog movement but your mileage may be different to mine but yeah it could be I like it a lot. Good, good animations. Like you're playing such a cute little character. And when you, half the time you do a sermon or teleport somewhere, it's got this great animation that occurs in different variants where like their eyes will roll back in their head and go red and blood starts streaming down their face and they just start <laughs> floating and shaking and then something will happen. And it's such a great, great transition. I love, <laughs> I, I love a sort of, I love me a daft Satanism. I mean, mm. probably all forms, but yeah, particularly that. Like just the fact that like that like the the logo has like well in in some context like a bunch of inverted crucifixes in it like it is sort of like pushing it in ways that I think is really fun given how charming it otherwise is it feels like it would be easy to go halfway with a kind of satanic animal crossing which mm. is a weird sentence but I've said it now <laughs> um, and I like that they 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 haven't been afraid to be grotesque. So yeah, I will definitely play it. Maybe not yeah. this week, but soon, yeah. and for the rest of your life. Um, sorry, I don't know. Where I ended up in um, <laughs> Casablanca there. Sure, um, you've been playing something else, I believe, much. I have. I also really like it. Um, somewhat surprisingly, Hard West Two. 
Mm. It's called. I didn't play Hard West 1, and this is not to be confused with Weird West, which we mm. both played and talked about recently. Uh, and that game maybe should have been more like this game, uh, which is to say fully turn-based rather than like right. a really heavily systemic, uh, incoherent, real-time Shit show path. simulator, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's weird how um, huh, it's weird. It's weird how uh, similar these I'm games are. I'm a spat G and T, you monster. <laughs> um, they're both set in this like occult version of the West. Uh, this one's in a slightly worse written version. <laughs> uh, it features a bunch of outlaws who have their souls stolen during a card game with the devil. Um, then they have to get them back, I assume. I don't don't really, I'm not that invested in the storyline. Um, and that involves shooting a lot of people in turn-based tactical shenanigans. Um, Delicious. But those turn-based tactical shenanigans are among the most fun of turn-based tactical shenanigans that I have sampled recently. And it just has a bunch of really kind of refreshing, incredibly bold, very asymmetric sort of powers and mechanisms in the game, which are probably... Not terribly well balanced, but it sort of doesn't matter because right. uh, um, the kind of thrill of it is having these these battles that can either go incredibly well or disastrously wrong. Um, so for one thing, it, it borrows Gears Tactics um, gimmick of having your have characters' action points completely refresh when they make a kill. Um, that means that you, you are just always incredibly aggressive rather than hunkering down behind... Um, boxes um and it means that you can take on enemies uh, that are in much greater numbers despite otherwise being quite comparably soft and squishy uh because if you play it right you can like wipe out an entire battalion of enemies in a single turn by constantly refreshing your action points every time you kill one of them um so that's that's just that's fun um there's also this idea of like transferable luck so that hmm. every every time you miss uh, a shot or you get hit your luck is sort of displaced to this numerical stack that you can then apply uh, when you want to boost later shots, the chance to hit. Um, but actually, the, the chance to hit is fairly simple. It's, it, it, if you can see somebody, uh, you can hit them. If they're in cover, then you, there's, there's a, a chance that you'll miss, basically. Um, but you can also, even though if they are in cover, you can ricochet bullets off things, um, which is it's, it's actually more prescriptive than it sounds because there are only certain objects that can bounce bullets. But it means that you don't have to spend your AP, you know, your, your action points repositioning just to dig a guy out of cover. So it speeds things up. You can just like bounce, you know, something off a of a of a shop sign, and so it hits somebody that you couldn't otherwise see in the back. Um, and you can actually bounce bullets off off of a whole bunch of objects you can like ding 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 until it hits somebody but the chance of a miss goes up with like every ricochet on that path um and that's it's not actually that consequential i don't think in the in the game but it just <laughs> there's something very fun and thematically uh right about that you know the the trick shot yeah and then there are like these character specific skills which are just just incredibly balmy. Um, uh, you have one character who, who just can magically exchange places with anybody she has line of sight on, um, which is uh, potent. Uh, you can, it means you can like be standing next to your mate. You can spot a couple of snipers in a tower. Snipers are, are like weaker than other enemies. Uh, then you can exchange places with, with one, shoot the other through the back of the head, and then have your mate nobble the other one who's appeared just beside him. And then both of your characters regain full action points and they can carry on to have their turn. So you can see how like you can just chain these things until you get these kind of just steamrolling all the way through the map. And that, that's something really exciting and dynamic about that. But obviously if you, if you fuck it up, you miscalculate something, then you've often left a character right in the midst of the enemy. Um, and a good example of which is that there's this melee character who can do this charge attack uh, which which delivers damage proportional to the distance that he's run. So there's right. a really fun positional bit of min-maxing going on there where you, you kind of want to keep him just, just far enough away that he can still reach the enemies within his maximum, you know, uh, distance, but also keep it and keep them at that maximum distance so that he can then deliver the maximum damage to them. And sometimes you're like, you're so tempted by that mega damage you know, offered by a distant enemy, that you you charge right at them across the map, right into the enemy's ranks, 
rather than you know take somebody down who's closer to you and you know more safe um and so then this character this melee character just ends up right in the middle of of the enemy camp surrounded all sides but usually with like all of his action points refreshed because you've just murdered somebody um and it just feels incredibly thematically apt you know as well as being exciting um there's lots of cool things like that there's another character who can deal out damage to every enemy within line of sight um then that's proportional to the amount of damage he's already taken um right during during that that confrontation so like working out when to use him is another fun but obviously high risk strategy and it just feels like the game is just constantly giving you these these you know handing you these sticks of dynamite and daring you to you know let let the let let the wick burn all the way down um yeah that's cool it is dope it's also got a, a it's got an upgrade tree, which is uh, fun in itself. Like one of the most enjoyable upgrade trees <laughs> in a game. And I mean that like not because the upgrades themselves are particularly interesting, but because the whole thing is sort of styled after poker hands. Hmm. So you, you earn playing cards as you go through the game, and then you can choose which character's hand you put them in. Um, and so each card has its own effects, like, you know, the nine of clubs or whatever has a plus two to movement or whatever. But it also has like a separate value as being part of that poker hand. So if you put three of a kind in one character's hand, then it unlocks this bunch of powers up to the value of that hand. Um, and then, then, of course, you're you're juggling these cards between characters and trying to work out what is the most that like for for all of the characters you have what what are the best hands that you can make for everybody without kind of giving somebody too little giving somebody too much because you know you can easily sink a lot of cards into one character and give them an amazing hand but then you don't spread the benefit uh, across your party um and that, that's that's tricky because then sometimes like I, I have a problem right now with one of my characters is just really unbelievably fucking slow in comparison to everybody else. I just basically have to leave him behind. But it's 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 very kind of exciting uh, to play with. That's super cool. Yeah, I, I don't know that there's that much else about the game to to kind of recommend it. Like I'm not really into the overworld map, uh, which lets you kind of move between fights and have like these little multiple choice story prompts and i'm not at all into the, the story of the characters uh which uh, just feel a little kind of um cliche and hollow but it's just it's just a really kind of energetic tactics game with a bunch of ideas that just um they break the mold chris that's what they do they break the Dang. mold and they bring joyous excess to each battle Wow, you could be right in the back of the box right now. At the very least, a <laughs> quote. Um, that came out recently, didn't it? Like a couple of weeks ago. I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think it got... I, I can't remember where, where I saw it recommended, but I saw it recommended somewhere. That was a completely pointless anecdote. <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, you know, uh, true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, truth has its own value, I think. And uh, mm. so thank you for sharing it. Um, <laughs> shall we take a dip back into the questions pot from I think we should episode 400 yeah there were a couple that we didn't get around to because it was running on quite long um we did have a discussion before this podcast about whether we've simply misremembered because of booze whether we did in fact answer these so you know apologies if this is uh <laughs> something we've actually literally already answered but um <laughs> Uh, there's a, a question here from um, Kerry by the Sea, uh, and they say, In idle moments, I sometimes daydream about a West, West Wing game, a walk-and-talk simulator where you stride about the halls of the White House, coming in and out of plots that would progress with or without you. Is there a fully nonsense license you'd like to see made into a game? Hmm. You know, I really feel like I've answered this before. Um, but if we are having this sort of like, <laughs> if we have all for if you, cause you, neither of you and I have any memory of answering the question, really, if it turns out we have, I'd be fascinated to know if I'll say the same thing again, um, in some sort of memento scenario that we are now in with questions. Um, but my answer to this is as of recently, um, I would really, I really want either a, Russian Doll, i.e. the Netflix show with Natasha Leone, Russian Doll, point-and-click adventure game. 
or mm. to transplant Natasha, Natasha Leone's character from Russian Doll into all other point-and-click adventure games. <laughs> um, I don't know if you've watched Russian Doll. I watched the first season, yes. Right. Then then you'll know why this is a correct opinion. <laughs> it is. That is a good I idea. I think I want to play Natasha Leone's Monkey Island. Um, fit right into Day of the Tentacle. Yeah, well, I mean, the second season even has a little gag at the expense of like how much she channels Columbo in a particular <laughs> direction. And so, yeah, I would, I would a hundred percent play the uh, the the Russian doll point and click adventure. I think that would be the right format for it as well. Um, ironically, in the first season of Russian Doll. Her character, Russian Doll, is a. Just in case you haven't seen it, I, I'm, I'm trying to dance around spoilers. It's uh, I really loved mm. it. It's, it can be. It is a hard where it's a hard going dark comedy, um, uh, about. Uh, is it a spoiler? To, hmm. If you really don't want to know anything about it, skip the next thirty seconds or ten seconds. Um, about a kind of Groundhog Day style time slash death loop, basically, um, like much like the video game Death Loop. Um, and I think it would make for an amazing puzzle game. Hilariously, though, I just realized in the show, and they sort of dropped this detail in the second season, uh, Natasha Leone plays the main character. Her character is a game developer. And is she? The, yeah. Oh, I've completely erased that from my she's memory. A ga- she's a game designer, and the game she made, which was ostensibly very successful but also very difficult, is one of the more unconvincing examples of we've made this game up for the television oh. uh, I have seen. Um, both of its examples of this are, there's a there's a scene in it where um, she is like hungover and maybe still high and goes into work for a meeting. And the rest of like the, the game, you know, the things that are unrealistic about it feel like having a large game development office in downtown Manhattan. Doesn't <laughs> feel like something that really exists. Um, but also... But the actual, like, the people present are all sort of, like, fairly believable as kind of parodies of game developers. But there's a problem with the game. It doesn't work. And only drunk, half-wasted Columbo, uh, Natasha Leone can solve it. But the problem is that a green-on-black wireframe of a human is has stopped running, like stopped physically running. And she, like, grabs the laptop of someone, types something, and the character starts just running again. (laughs) The game is fixed. So, ironically, I want to play the the Russian Doll game, but not the game that's in Russian Doll. But if, <laughs> if they actually made it, I would play it. So maybe the answer is yes. How about you? Um, I think uh, you could make a great game out of Gentleman Jack, uh, mm. which is a uh, TV series I'm slightly obsessed with. Um, you'd have a sort of... Uh, visual novel dating game layer to it where you manage your social status in the uh, 19th century through like dialogue and seduction of noble ladies and conceal your lesbian affairs. Um, And then the meat of the game, Chris, would be a rich coal mining sim slash management game, which which weirdly, um, I, I don't think... Has that really been done? I mean, I feel like Dwarf Fortress has mines and obviously Minecraft has mines, but I don't think you have like a, uh, a physically modeled management game about mines, which are, if you've watched Gentleman Jack, a fascinating, <laughs> fascinating uh, set of problems to deal with because um, there'd be like real time difficulties with uh, underground water and, you know, combustion and uh, other physically modeled hazards. Um and you'd have to choose how and when to apply mound power and buy and expand your infrastructure and go and, you know, vote at, uh, vote for the Tories uh, if you're a noble or, or for the, the radical Whigs if you want to um, cause havoc and mayhem in the towns of the north of England. Um, you know, I think, I think you can make something really good out of yeah. it. There yeah, is an what? evil yeah. pig farming plot line, though, which I would probably drop. From hmm. the game doesn't don't need any of that. That's the feature creep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hmm. I'm trying to think if there are any other licenses that I've sort of licenses. Bleh. Almost said IP. Um, any other cool things I've encountered recently that I would adapt that don't send up to it? But um, I went to see a very good um, 
adaptation of the seagull Chekhov's the seagull in London oh, yeah. that would I think for a man obsessed with guns Chekhov would be hard to adapt to games <laughs> <laughs> well you'd only be able to fire once <laughs> <laughs> well yeah well how would you build gameplay around that like you know um just be a very long meandering interactive fiction novel but you also are holding the bfg <laughs> <laughs> i would actually play that, Make that. <laughs> um yeah i don't know if i necessarily have a video game connection to that other than theater's good isn't it it was nice to be back in that world oh yeah yeah i haven't been to theater in a long long time yeah because of a pandemic among other reasons mm. um but yeah, no, I think we've solved the Chekhov game problem. <laughs> Would you like another question? Yeah, go for it. Uh, this one from Mr. Wonko uh, makes more sense when you realise that it was sent for the episode 400. Um, it says, HTTP status code 400 means bad request. Mm. What feature request for a game would likely be rejected as a bad request, but you think would actually make the game better? It kind of depends on the game to me. What's, what were your thoughts on this? Uh, well, <clears throat> so this is a completely unrealistic pie-in-the-sky answer, but I would love instanced versions of service games. So, I mean, to some extent, this does exist mm. for Minecraft, and I think it's sort of happening for WoW now, but, you know, that yeah. only really happens because they are two of the biggest games of all time. And I, I know this is wildly out-of-scope <laughs> way to deal with reboarding players who skipped a month or a year of updates or whatever to a live service game. But like those players, I'm, I am myself one find it so difficult once you got left behind by the meta to get back on something. Um, and I think that's actually worse to get back into a thing than it is to onboard completely naive players. Cause there's this sort of, this sort of feeling of familiarity, which is betrayed yeah. by the game. Like you get back in and you have all this residual muscle memory or like your reptile brain strategy is sort of like kicking back in. But then it's just it's just confounded to fuck by all the changes. And that feels so much worse than just being pig ignorant, which is mm. obviously how I come to most games normally. And then, you know, so I'd I'd have the this this magical game test to see the last played session and then say, hey, it's been a while. We're going to matchmake you only with players uh, in an instance of the game, timestamped with a month or two of when you last played. Uh, and as you play more, you can choose, if you wish, to advance through patches towards the current date or not. Maybe you just like to play in a particular stable version of the meta in perpetuity. Um, and yeah, that's, I think that'd be great. That's I mean, the, great the obvious reasons why it doesn't happen. Like, cause, because unless you have a truly vast player base, then you, you end up with unmanageably fragmented small matchmaking pools, and that would be a nightmare. And also because, you know, you know patches are released for a reason. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, it doesn't, don't just need, add new content. So you'd need to have a workforce constantly laboring to patch, but not otherwise change branches of the game, <laughs> every branch of the game, to ensure they were stable and secure, uh, which is obviously literally impossible um and an absolute bullshit ask but wouldn't it be cool if it happened it's interesting though isn't it because this is the sort of game we can enjoy in let's say a hypothetical post singularity ai dominated future where we're all plugged into the machines mm. being fed our version of reality to appease us right yeah that seems good like an ai could handle this probably that's my thought you know what i mean and it's, it prompts an interesting dimension on what it means to cater to the needs of individual players because like well, from a developer's point of view you kind of almost don't want to expose that information because you don't want good up-to-date recent information which of your patches was actually the most popular <laughs> yeah uh which wh where would players dial the clock back to if they actually had a choice um because that you know i don't know what you do with the information other than feel bad right if it's anything other than the present um so that would be a toxic dynamic but in a in a, in a setting where it's basically it enables like total solipsism you know not to not to kind of wander back not to wander back to the mister um but you know there's a sort of i think it's a, an onanism rather than a the, solipsism chris I think it, it can if you try hard enough be both <laughs> <laughs> i'm the only being that exists look at me go mm -hmm. um <laughs> 
the, the it's actually given me a thought as well for like my like this is this has helped unlock what a truly unreasonable request looks like for me i think um because you're right it's something that would require a huge amount of um manpower and largely be to the detriment of everyone else playing the game um i would like the ability to uh play competitive games that have skill-based matchmaking or MMR, but tell the game whether I would like an easy, medium, maybe just use the Nando's scale for like how difficult a game I'm looking for. Do I want hot? Do I want medium? Do I want mango and lime? Because I'm a little bit drunk and I just want to feel like I'm good at Destiny PvP. And give me the ability to be matched with, you know, for my MMR to be matched into an environment where I'm going to get what I want. Right. Rather mm. than because MMR systems and matchmaking systems are caught between two, two binaries, right? One of them, one, one half is balance, which actually nobody likes because balance, <laughs> because if a game is fair, it's hard, <laughs> basically. Uh, and imbalance, which also nobody likes because it means you absolutely cannot judge the value of your successes or the meanings of your failures, right? Right. Did you win because that person has only just started playing? Did you lose because that person's played 20 times more than you? You'll, you don't know unless there's some other visible indicator, like through a profile or something like that. And both of these things make people unhappy because fundamentally, yes, you discover competitive games just seem to make people unhappy, but I love them anyway. And there's a, there's a, there's a debate that's been around for a while, actually. I think, I, think I, most, I mostly encounter it via the Destiny community, which obviously I play a lot of Destiny. Destiny example is, an, is actually an incredibly example, incredible example of what you were just saying about, yes, it is technically, I think, harder to onboard returning players than new players. Destiny 2, one of my favorite games, is currently in the position of being terrible at both. Um, <laughs> so good for them. But they, they always have this tension. They're reintroducing skill-based matchmaking, but they've always had this tension where players players in on the whole tend to call out for skill-based matchmaking, and then when it's there, there's an element of like, oof, this is no longer as breezy as I thought it was, right? Mm-hmm. Also, crucially, I find I find this really interesting. There is a strong pushback against skill-based matchmaking, traditionally from content creators and YouTube. Oh, yes, yeah. Because, I remember this furor yeah, about this a couple of months ago. Yeah, because they their channels, their livelihoods in some cases, are built on being able to dunk on other people. And if they were balanced against their actual skill, their videos get worse. And if their videos get worse, it actually materially affects them. And I find that really interesting. My completely unreasonable request for you to be able to pick how difficult a PvP match was going to be would solve this problem for them. It would, however, confront them with the challenge of, like, if they were streaming, their audience seeing them set the game to, like, just just release me into a sandpit full of toddlers, please. (laughs) Like... (laughs) Yeah, um, I like that. Yeah. I think that would be, yeah... Because I think I would, I think, I mean, this is the personality test. I think I would pick difficult sometimes. Particularly if you scaled, like, my potential rewards against this, like any other difficulty level, maybe it's not such a bad idea. It's just impossible to implement because how the fuck do you balance the matchmaking pool when everyone's asking for something different, right? Yeah. Like, my ability to get matched into an easy game would depend on the existence of a population of players who are looking for a hard game who also happen to have a lower MMR than I do, for example. Yeah, I'm surprised. I, so people, when they're, when they're faced with something truly fair, uh, don't like it. I mean, I, I assume that I would feel okay with a fifty-fifty win ratio. You'd assume so, but people, it's it's you know, it's I think it's a consequence of the kind of you know, it's like the visceral presentation of something versus its reality. Like mm. I'll put it this way, or there's no such thing as 50 50 satisfaction would be the other way of putting it. Right. Like I, um, I was playing some sort of like competitive destiny PVP the other day, actually. Uh, cause the, like the, the top end freelance, the top end, um, PVP stuff's called trials of Osiris. And there's like a, occasionally they'll open up like a, what they call the freelance queue where you can queue solo. Normally you have to go in with a whole team. And obviously you do love that. If you love the game for its own sake, you do love the close games, but, do you know what the best close games are? The ones you win. <laughs> yes. And like we had a close game and I managed to clutch the final round and win a 3v1. And, you know, that felt fucking amazing. I had a proper like little fist bump 
with myself moment, uh, which is simply we're not. What do, I, what do I mean? Punch the air. That's what I meant. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. There's like a there's a there's a genuine kind of thrill to it. If I'd lost in that moment, I would have feel felt worse because the game had gone to like because it's like first to five wins and it was like matched four four match point and I won it. Fucking, I'm the fucking king. I feel brilliant. Look at my big flaming gun. And then, but had I lost at that moment, knowing that both of my teammates are dead and spectating me. I would have felt shit, right? Mm. It's the high risk, high reward thing. And obviously that's an outcome of balance. And even in a 50-50% scenario, one where play, I, I suspect, maybe it's not just me, people tend to dwell more on negative experience than positive ones anyway. You, It's it's never quite balanced, right? That 50-50 yeah, is not, that's never going to exist emotionally. It can exist literally in terms of the win rate. But I think a 50-50 win rate probably actually is experienced negatively by most people. I think a nice solid 70-30 just makes you feel good about yourself. And there's nothing wrong with that. There is for everyone else, but not for me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, apparently we've interpreted this question as like just making an enormously selfish decision about the game. <laughs> but that's, you know, nothing wrong with that. Well, there is, but yeah. Certainly your, your true skill rating should be uh, ameliorated by your blood alcohol level. I think that's only fair. Yeah, I'd accept that as a, you know... Like you have to do like a, I'm not sure how you would test that in digital thing. Maybe they just incorporate like a typing of the dead style, like mini game. Mm. And, you know, there are great rewards for doing it well. So you're disincentivized by, you're disincentivized from just fucking it up on purpose, but also you only get to do it like once a day or something like that. So you log in at 11 o'clock, you just come back from the pub, you're ready to play some PVP for some reason it makes you do a typing mini game, and then it's like you're wasted. Let us just <laughs> <laughs> let us just usher you in again. Though in the dystopian future, this will be a lot easier because hmm. the computer will know where you've been and what you've done. It will know exactly. what your blood alcohol. The little watch you're wearing will have told it already that you're in no state, and it can it can it can lower you gently into a, a warm, mediocre bath to wallow about in. Strava will have been watching you as you drew circles on the map as you passed your home three times because you're too shit-faced to walk through the gate. Yeah, right. Or is like it'll watch you think about going home and then watch you wander into a at like a chicken shop. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, good, good. Those are the the two questions that I I thought we should revisit. There may be more, but um, I didn't make a note of them, so. Yeah, I suppose it might be worth saying that I think I think we're sort of having now had almost a year break from questions. I think I personally am I'm open to to answering them. Um, our our yeah. questions mailbox lately has, uh, and that's not to say that we will kind of bring it back as a full section. I think, and I don't want to kind of make a commitment on behalf of other podders, which just the two of us. But I do like kind of the things that it prompts. It just we had definitely hit a point where um, we were struggling to answer a lot of the questions we were being asked, honestly. Um, so yeah, at the moment, the, um, the questions inbox is largely press releases. So the alternative is we do dramatic readings of press releases and no, (laughs) uh, no one wants that. And also please don't mail in to say that you want that. I, I, I already regret saying it. Um, so yeah, I think that's all of the pod we have time for this evening because it's just the two of us. If you'd like to send us a question, why not? So email us, questions at creightoncrowbar.com. You can find more of these episodes on our website at creightoncrowbar.com. You can also find a link to our Discord community there, wherein these episodes are discussed. Many of them, if not all of them, indeed all of them, and more end up on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash creightoncrowbar. And thank you, as ever, to our Patreon supporters who support the Games Podcast, and that in turn supports things like the lock-ins. More information on the Patreon can be found at patreon.com forward slash crate and crowbar oh i feel like that went quite well yeah thanks let's fuck um, up the last bit let's fuck up the last bit i've been chris thurston i've been marsh davis ah. <laughs>